is Megan Reardon Jarvis, and this is Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. And I am delighted to be here today with Crystal Jones. I cannot wait to share her with you. She is one of my most precious people. I'm going to read you her bio, and then I'll give you a little introduction about how we know each other. So Crystal has over 17 years of clinical experience working with families and children and adults. Currently, she works with women from all walks of life and specializes in creating safe spaces for Black, Indigenous, people of color, feels connected, heard, seen, and valued. She's a certified IFS therapist and consultant, a master Reiki practitioner, community connector, and plant enthusiast. She's the founder of LifeSource Counseling Center, incorporated in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where she works compassionately and collaboratively with women to create healing from trauma, identify healthy coping strategies, and increase self-compassion. Crystal, thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me to get to see your face when we don't get to do lots of connecting. And it means so much to me to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited and just so excited about the work that you're doing. You're the best. So let me tell people how we know each other. Crystal and I have known each other for a million years because I'm old now. You're still gloriously young. But Crystal and I worked at a high school in Washington, D.C., during the years when the district was outsourcing special education to private companies. So we worked for a private company school that had children who mostly had IEPs, which are specialized education plans that were directed both towards their behavior. So their emotional diagnosis and their educational lapses. So they had lots of trouble in school for lots of different reasons. And I had worked at the school for a little while and Crystal came in. She was a social worker for the city, right? You were working for the city at that time? Yes, I was. I was yes. for agency at okay. Time. So she was the social worker to one of my students and she walked in and she had the cold. She was having a rough day. And I just felt this swarm of energy and was like, this woman is going to be a part of my life. I'd never done this before. And I got zero people's permission and I had no um, business doing it, but I pulled her to the side and was like, do you want a job? Would you like to work here? And through magic, then we got to work together for while we were, I wasn't even married yet. We were becoming, we were becoming ourselves way back then. And then you moved away and I moved away, opened our private practices. And we had some just time where we were not all that connected. We were hustling and having a million babies between us. And now some of those babies are like grown people. And we reconnected because of Brene Brown. We went to a conference. And there you were. And there I was. And my dad had just died. And it just felt like this really big cosmic moment for me. And you have been a really, it's going to choke me up, a really big part of my grief journey with my parents. And right after my mom died and after I had inpatient care, I mean, literally right after the inpatient care, you and I went to Bali with my darling friend, Gail, for another training which really was like a spiritual moment. It was, I don't think I could have done that training if you and your, your darling husband and Gail, I wouldn't have gone, but, but also that training was as much part of my healing around grief and loss. So you are just stitched to the inside seams of my whole life and journey. And I'm so grateful to have you here. Oh, Megan, I love you so much. Oh, it's going to be a love people to know too, that the only reason that I went to that trip is because you said we're going. 
<laughs> we're going to Bali. I did. Crystal and I were, are both, we're, we're IFS trained, internal family systems. And we did this training together, which was an incredible training. It's the therapy that she and I love the most. I don't want to speak for you, but I know it's true. We did that training. And as the training was ending, there was so much grief about us not getting to see each other regularly. And there was a random flyer that was like, come train in Bali. And somehow our husbands bought it. We like walked home and we were like, we're just tell them we need to go to this training. I, I can be powerfully persuasive when I need to be. Absolutely. That's Megan magic right there. <laughs> tell us, Crystal, tell us about what you would like to talk about today. Yeah. When initially, when you invited me to, to come on and chat with you, the first person that came up was my grandfather um, who died when I was about 19. But as the weeks went by and a few therapy sessions later, <laughs> I realized that I was carrying the weight of George Floyd's murder and the verdict that came with it. I realized that I was holding my breath and didn't even realize it. And so... I, I just kind of shifted and said, that's what I, that's what feels important to talk about. Mm. Right now I'm, so, I'm so grateful that you're going to bring that to us because I, I, just the process that you just described, which is, you know, grief and loss sort of, it collects in a corner and it's connected to lots of things. So we could talk about your grandfather, but it sounds like the thing that's most present for you is the murder. So, so talk, just bring us into that. What has been coming up for you? And when we think about sort of the, the tenet of what I talk about a lot on the podcast is grieve is a verb. Just tell me about how you've been feeling that and how you've been trying to process it. Yeah. Well, lately I'm really, I'm really cognizant that there's a lot going on on the TV in terms of protest, in terms of them playing over and over again, the murder of, of black men and, and black girls, black and brown. And I've been really intentional about not watching TV. I've been really intentional about walking and moving and also burying myself in my work. I've been like booking myself out of control. I just noticed I've been very busy, probably avoidant, <laughs> you know, and just, just doing a lot of tasks. I've been moving a lot, you know, and in a lot of ways, I thought I was moving a lot just for the sake of doing it. And in some ways calling it self-care. <laughs> right. In some ways it was self-care, but it wasn't until well, a few weeks ago until I went to my therapist and I was, I was really forced to just kind of be still for a minute and not do those things that I've been doing. And immediately right in my heart space, it just felt like something just wanted to come up through my throat and just scream. And she had me just sit with that feeling for a moment. And this huge, overwhelming, I mean, like lay out or run around the house, cry. <laughs> like I can't even give words to it. Cause it's not even the ugly cry. It was the cry. Like you can't sit down with it yeah. out of my body. And I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> where did, you know, I knew I felt sad, but I didn't know my body was holding all of that. I knew I was feeling a little irritable and you know, just feeling icky. <laughs> I can't even, I can't have another word, but 
that came up out of me. And I was just like, wow. And even after our session together, she said to me, that emotion looks like it needs a sound. And in the moment I'm on zoom and I, and I told her, I was like, look, my kids are in the other room. <laughs> I scream like I need to scream. They're going to think something's wrong. And so she said, at some point, mm-hmm. find a space and, and give, give that hurt the voice that it needs. And so after our session, I said, you know what? My kids are okay. They, they know that I take care of my mental health and they take care of theirs. I'm going to tell them mommy needs to scream, but she's okay. <laughs> I told them, oh. I took a shower and I screamed probably for about a good five minutes. <laughs> oh my God. Were you able to do it without self-consciousness, even though they were in the house? I talked to a lot of people about how they can't cry if there are people around or they can only cry if there's people around. Were you able to like get yourself the space you needed? do that I, I really was and you, you know even hearing you say that it makes me really proud at the work I've done with my kids regarding their emotions mm. you know crying when they need to cry being sad when they need to be sad feeling anxious when they need to feel anxious just really them connecting with their emotions and feelings and knowing that that's okay so they weren't phased by me doing what I needed to do to take care of myself because I, I framed it like that. I said, I need to take care of myself right now. And the way I need to do that is scream in the shower. Mm. And it's so funny because they're teenagers, but my 10 year old's room is closest to my room. He's just like, okay. <laughs> you do you mom. You do you. <laughs> I'm going to be over here playing. <laughs> I mean, you know? I, I think about the modeling, right. For children the modeling of the self-care, the modeling of kind of spending time and knowing self, right? Which is I'm not reactively screaming. I'm making the choice to scream because I've sat with myself and I know that I need to let that energy out. I mean, you and I can talk about this in 30 years, but my hope is that that kind of modeling for our kids is just going to make them not afraid of feelings, but also make them more fluent in feelings, which is what we need, right? Yeah. My son was crying this morning. I said, what's wrong? He said, sometimes I just feel like I want to cry and it's not necessarily a reason. And it just touched my heart. And of course I wanted to do something for him, you know, but I said, okay, well, if there's something that you need to say, or if you need some support, just let me know, but it's okay. If your body just feels like it needs to cry. I feel that way sometimes. And I don't even know why, but sometimes I just want to cry, you know? Part of what we're talking about, just for the listeners, which you and I are kind of um, well-versed in this, but I think it's part of what makes grief and loss so mysterious for people, is that we have to think of this as an energy that we carry. And so part of what you're describing is this accumulation of energy that was in your heart space that maybe we're trying to hustle around so we don't have to feel or see it. You know, like when I walk really fast in and out of my bedroom, cause there's so much laundry on, in the back corner, but, but it is there and it manifests itself in our five senses. And so you can get these little context clues like irritability or, you know, one of the things that I've talked about on various podcasts is I have a certain level of anger, like past a five which never shows up unless I'm afraid. So I've learned 
to not care that I'm angry. And to, the image that I have in my mind is that I turn around really fast because I'm like, oh, the, the little girl who's afraid must be here because this level of anger doesn't even show. But part of what happens with grief and loss is people don't love it. We're not well-versed in it. We don't have a lot of education and we're confused about how that energy resides in our body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I was going to say, man, I, I'm growing to that level of insight, right? <laughs> because like when I'm in it, like, I don't know, like, I, like, I think the purpose is not to know, right? Because we don't want to go to pain. Very few people purposely go to pain. Like, like if we try to avoid it at all costs. And so in those avoidant moments where I don't want to go to the pain, I know it's there, but I don't want to touch it, you know? But when I'm able to settle myself and be still, it's like, okay, let's go ahead and do this. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, you know, if you're in the middle of work or something, you can't necessarily like take a moment and do the primal screaming, But being able to say, I understand that that's where the energy's at and I need to help it find a place to rest. Otherwise it's going to drive these other behaviors. That's one piece, right? It's like honoring the energy that's in my body and attending to it, right? You know, if I'm hungry, I don't have to eat immediately. I'm not going to die, but I probably need to eat in the next two or three hours or there's going to be a problem. So I think about that as sort of the grief energy. I also think when I can identify, man, this George Floyd stuff is, you know, just even intellectually is going to fuck me up. I can also look and say, I'm going to add that to my prayers. I'm going to think about that when I'm walking, that there are some verb type activities that I can bring that into my consciousness. I just don't always do that well. Like I need coaching for that right? Like I need someone to remind me and say, well, this is, you're heading up on the anniversary or, you know, more recently for me, Mother's Day is coming. And I'm like, ah, shit, Mother's Day is coming. I may have feeling about that because my mom died. So what if I, what if I invited that into my meditation in the morning, which, you know, again, I'm making it sound like I'm on Oprah and I meditate every morning. Like, you know, we're talking about like the two days a week that I consciously sit down and I'm like, okay, my meditation timer went off. I am going to meditate. Yeah. I, f- I find myself just writing their names, you uh, know, and I have, you know, every time something comes up or I hear about it, I just write their names and it's just on an index card, but I put it in front of me and it, I don't know, but it just, it feels like it keeps them present. And it, I don't know, it just feels like it keeps them close to my heart. I work for Glennon Doyle Together Rising Charity, and I have for a long time. And a long time ago, someone wrote to us about their child who was having health issues. And Glennon had us write that little girl's name on our hand, on our palm. I still do that, that when someone, even if you told me about your grandmother and, you know, I would ask what's her name and put it on my hand. Cause I love the idea of keeping it in your consciousness by putting it in your eyesight. I just think that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It just feels like this happened and this, this person, you know, had a whole identity, you know, it was connected to a whole community. It just helps me remember that when I'm hearing about just all the things in the news, seeing the name on that paper helps me humanize that person, what's going on in the world. Can you tell me a little bit, like when you say the, the grief of the murder, 
how do you embody where did the where did the emotions go you know in EMDR work we say what is the worst part of the memory in IFS we talk about what wants to be unburdened there's a million entry points of pain around this topic and I'm just curious for you that holy space of humanity how do you how is it visiting you I'm glad people can't see me right now, right? Because I haven't took off, took off the glasses and grabbed the tissue, right? Because it's, and I'm holding my heart. Because as soon as you said that, right? Like when I close my eyes, you know, I see the officer's foot on his neck, right? I envision the people around who witnessed and who, who felt really helpless and couldn't do anything as they watched. I think about him calling for his mom. I think about my own kids, you know, feeling helpless and calling for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think about just how how beautiful and caring and kind my own kids are, right? And that somebody could see them as a threat and do harm to them because they see them as a threat when they're so kind, they're so giving, they're so sweet. And the fact that someone else can see them as a threat and do harm and they can be gone just like that like my brain and my body goes there. Yeah. And yeah, I even think about the people, you know, who who saw this that had to testify, like, how are they feeling now after everything is settled some? Like, how will they have to deal with this for the rest of their life? And after I kind of gave voice to all of that, I was like, girl, you are holding so much. And it also really hit me how much of an empath I am. I always knew I was an empath and I thought I did really a really good job at kind of, I guess, I don't know, working with that because I'm a therapist and you can't take everything in, but there's just some pain that feels so deep yeah, that it penetrates, <laughs> you know, like that's a, that's a pain that penetrated and it felt like, it felt like we were watching a public lynching. Yeah. Because that's what it was. Just the helplessness of it all. It just made my spirit deeply, deeply sad. So, I mean, this is an audio thing. So people can't see that we both are wiping our tears. But what often happens for me with you is that I get, I run all hot and cold. I mean, I just feel your heart with me. That's the kind of therapy that both Crystal and I do. It uses the body a lot. And what I was having, which part of the reason I appreciate this conversation and I will, I will be back for it in my own therapy. I can feel it is just the slowing down. And it feels like almost like a police reconstruction of events where we see it from everybody's you know, you're, you're empathizing with the victim whose life is taken, the mother who can't be there for her babies, the babies who were misunderstood, the bystanders who have to live with what they saw and couldn't stop. 
their whole lives and then the impact of everyone hearing the story. I mean, it just feels like it, it feels like bowing and bearing witness to the utter and complete destruction of this less than 10 minutes of horrific public hate and destruction. And, and you know, in addition to that, it's like, kind of like you walk out into the, into the ocean and a wave hits you, it knocks you down. But before you get back up, another wave hits you and the waves keep hitting you. You can't stand up. I feel like there's been no recovery because in addition to that, we're hearing consistent instances of black and brown people being shot, you know, by the police and and, and being disrespected. I think you just kind of numb out after all, because it's almost like that numbing or that denial piece. It just helps to hold some of that emotion because it's just too much. I have to numb because if I don't, I'm going to be laid out in the floor over here. The The grief of it all is going to consume me if, I, if I'm if i not able to numb some of this out or if I'm not able to distract. I like There's parts of me that I feel like I can't go all the way there. Yeah. It's for me to go all the way there, you know? Yeah. And I remember the first time a therapist said to me, you know, disassociation and numbing is a great tool. You know, I think we, and I, again, no disrespect to Miss Oprah, but I think a lot of us get our therapeutic sort of perspective from the pop culture figures who are willing to talk about it. And they talk about it in a 90 second clip. So I think part of what we get is this idea that numbing is bad. You know, you don't numb your feelings. Don't, you know, use drugs, alcohol, Netflix, whatever. But I do think in grief and loss, we have to titrate out. Otherwise, that element of trauma, which is the, you know, your five senses get overwhelmed and you're in that sense of freeze. Otherwise we're, we're in that and we're stuck. The numbing, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that our systems can bring that online unconsciously to sort of protect us, right? Like that's, and I love that from the therapy that you and I use that, you know, it comes in because it knows we need it. You know, our little part that is going to numb us. I didn't look at it like that before, right? It's like, you know, numbing is, like you said, numbing is wrong, right? But from the therapy, the framework that we use, I know that, hey, this part is coming in because it doesn't feel like I can handle the level of grief that's underneath all of this. And so I'm just like, I'm just kind of like petting that part. Like, thank you so much because I do need you right now. I do need you to be here. I'll, I'll eventually get there, right? But right now I do need this part to kind of stand in so I can take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. I need to mom, I need to work, you know? And I know that that this is a part of my grief. The numbing is a part of my grief, right? And there'll be other parts of it. And I don't have to beat myself up because that's what I'm choosing in this moment. Yeah. And then I think the element that then has to be our promise is that I will come back to the part that's being numbed and protected. Right. And so when people, people, one of the questions I get all the time in grief and loss is, is when should I go see a therapist? Do I have to go see a therapist? And I've had some great conversations with people who are able to sort of quote statistics and say, this is what the field believes. And I I appreciate all that. And I also think a therapist is like a coach. If you're not sure if it could be helpful, why not try it? Because in my own life, 
there's just nothing I haven't studied in grief, loss, and trauma. There's no book I haven't read. Okay. That's an exaggeration, but I'm telling you, I'm not the average bear and I still need to be stopped. I still need to be reminded. I still need to be invited to spend a minute, particularly in that part that we talked about, which is the slowing down. I've got such a good hustle, the slowing down to be invited to just look around my internal space to see what I, what might want my attention and my image for that. And I keep in my office, this little picture of myself in kindergarten, because I was so cute with this little Dorothy Hamill haircut and this little hand smacked dress that my grandmother had made me. But I keep that picture in there to help me envision, you know, turning and looking for my little one and saying, what do you need me to know? Ooh, I'm going to do that. I love that. Megan. I, I do that with clients. I ask them to bring in a picture of themselves under the age of 10. And when they're having a hard time sort of being with those hard feelings, they're too dissociated. I just say, go ask a little one, go ask, what do they know? I'm about to take, I'm going to take that. I just want you to know in advance. I'm sure I didn't invent it. Any good idea I have ever had was given to me by some other therapist. So you know what else is helpful in terms of sitting with my therapist around this is that that feeling I have of no crystal, nobody wants to hear you talk about this stuff. You know, like I feel really outside of talking to my amazing husband, who I always say is an honorary therapist because he listened. He has such a judge. So he is honorary in all the things, (laughs) an actual honor. (laughs) Right. But I, I feel really isolated and alone in those thoughts, right? Because they feel like a buzz killer, right? You know, nobody wants to hear about, I feel like it, it's horrific in my own body. I'm like, like there's parts of me that don't want to pass that on to someone else, right? Yeah. I haven't found a community to share those thoughts because I feel like everybody's feeling some level of it and everybody's trying to feel better in their own way. Right. And so I feel like I've been more in my head about it. So therapy has really given me a space to say, these feelings do exist. I I am thinking this, I do need to sit with this. It's just giving me a space to talk about it, you know, normalize it. Cause I don't feel like I have that, that, that space to talk about it. I think that's part of our American shortcoming around the, you know, the notion that we sort of want to present our bright and shiny sides. And I think there are lots of people out there that are trying to encourage us, but imagine if what your kids feel in your, in your home and in your life was what the world felt, which was, it's just fine to show my feelings and own my feelings and tell my feelings. Like that's kind of the world that I'm hoping we're going to live into which is it's a, not a problem. They're mine. I'm just telling you about them, but B I would love for you to witness them. I would love to be able to live that out loud and in grief and loss, you know, there are these tenants that everybody comes in thinking they're the only person that experiences them. And they're people are often really comforted to hear like that's just run of the mill grief standard straight down the line is feeling isolated and feeling alone. And the part that I say to people all the time is, and, you know, it's a little bit brutal, but you are alone because loss is 100% personal. Whatever it is that you are experiencing in grief is just yours. 
that you and I could lose the exact same person who was precious to us, but they are precious to us in a different way. Yeah. And so it can be a cultural icon that everyone is mourning, but each individual has lost that person alone. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think normalizing that and saying, you know, you will feel alone in this, but talk about out loud what it feels like to feel alone dispels the loneliness of alone, if that makes sense. Well, it does, right? And I've, I've heard you like, hmm, I don't think I've heard anybody say that before, right? Help me make this distinction because in my culture, right? I guess maybe it's just the initial parts of grief feel really community oriented, right? Absolutely. People coming by the house, people are bringing food, you know, people are calling, you know, people are checking, everybody's like gathering, like that's a thing. Right. But after all of that said and done, then there is the part of it that you just have to sit with after the phone calls stop and after people stop gathering, there is a part that you have to sit with. And so I've never really thought about you being alone in your grief. It's like I, the way that I think of it is, you know, it's like having a baby or running a marathon you know, you can be well supported by your community, right? I mean, you were at my baby shower. You can be well supported, but what happened after everyone left my baby shower is I drove my youngest sister to Union Station and begged her not to leave. And she was like, what do you think I'm going to do for you here? I'm like, I can't do this. I can't have this baby. But grief really, you know, it is about you and you. And the more you can speak to people who nod and say, I, I see you. I don't even think it really has to be, I, I get it, but just, I can take you in. I'm not going to use the word tolerate because I hate it, but like, I can take you in, in your sense of loss, which is different than how you normally are and how you normally feel. And I'll sit next to you, but I can't sit there for you. And I think actually we do a disservice when we say to people, I know exactly how you feel, or you are not alone. I mean, that talk about making me angry. People are like, you're not alone here. I'm like, I am alone. I am alone. I don't know how to live without my mom. I am trying to grow into that person. And it's unbelievably hard. And again, sort of the people who listen to me talk about this, hear me talk about it all the time, but I really do think about growing into grieving as growing a griever, a part of me that maybe did not exist before, that's informed by my other parts, the same way that I grew into being a mother. I don't think I was a mother until Lucy made me a mom. Mm. And, And that part of me came onto the scene at the same time I needed to be it. You know, it's like running a restaurant and your short order cook quits and you need to know how to chop onions fast. It's, it is on the job training. I love your visuals because I'm a visual person. And in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, I get this. Yeah. <laughs> I, learning how to be a griever. Like I will probably after this, I will pro- probably be thinking about this all day and the next day. <laughs> Just like like pushing it around in my mind. Like, wow, I've never I've never thought of it like that it's part of the reason I like talking to people about it. I mean, first of all, cause you know me, like I'm academic in my background. So I read a million, but I read 88 books just to make sure that my experience wasn't covered by somebody else. But I also think of it from the therapy that you and I come to, which is, 
you know, you and I were in a training once where the two therapists were modeling something for us. And one of them got really, she fell into a piece of shame about not knowing what she was doing. She said, I'm okay. And the master therapist put her hand on her leg and said, oh, I know you're okay, honey. In this like, just like landed in my soul, like, oh my God, you're not trying to fix her. You're trying to help her understand she is already fixed. She is already whole and she just needs to grow into her own capacity, like the world's best coach. And I've used that language with, with clients before where I say, I understand that you can't see the hope I feel for you. So just lean on mine because mine is so real. Like you have the clouds and you can't see it, but I'm not a liar. I'm not going to lie to you, right? I'm not going to blow sunshine up your ass. Like I can feel that you are going to hold this better, different, but maybe not today. Somebody said to me, I was in another training and we had to share, we had to meet up in triads. And I was feeling like I, I was too much. What I needed to share was too much. And the person said to me, sis, I can hold space for you. I was like, you can hold space for me. She said, I can hold space for you and you are not too much. Cause I was concerned cause she was pregnant. And I was like, I don't want to tell her all this shit. She's pregnant. She don't have time for all of this. Mm. And she said, I can hold space for you. You're not too much. She said, I'm okay. And the baby's okay. Stop it right now. You're going to make me cry. And it did make me cry because, you know, we, as therapists, we hold space for so many, but, you know, sometimes it's difficult to allow people to hold space for us in that moment. She was saying, you're not too much. You're not too much. And, And I can hold space without without being overwhelmed by what you're sharing with me. Right. Your, your big feelings are not going to do me harm. Yeah. Yeah. I can share this experience with you. And I think that is so beautiful. Your big feelings are not going to do your self harm is what we watch those two master therapists tell us. And then your triad, she said, your big feelings are not going to do me harm. Yeah. I am going to be okay. Oh, that was just, you know, I probably text her after this and say, I just love you. And I appreciate that moment. But that was such a special moment for me, you know, because it allowed me something opened up in me to say that, yeah, it is okay. You know, it is okay for you to share and you're not looking for anything, but for her to hold space for you. You're not looking for her to make you feel better or, you know, tell you it's going to be okay. It's just good to be in community and have somebody open-heartedly share space. And I think honestly, you know, if we think about it from that deeply spiritual center of humanity being connected, we are probably wired to be in our feelings better with the safety of the grounding of another safe person, right? Like, I think that is at the root of why therapy is important. So when people are asking me, should I go? My answer is if it occurred to you, I would take that as wisdom and a question for you to go answer. You know, if you thought of it, there's probably a reason you thought of it. So go towards, and if you get there and it's terrible, you can always never go back. But if you're wondering about it, it probably has wisdom. You know, you started by saying, I've been doing walking and I've been doing moving. When people say to me, Megan, how do I grieve? I always ask like, where's your energy leading you? 
And people will tell me these amazing things like, well, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, you know, I used to play the violin in high school. You know, I would go with that. I would check in with the violin and see if maybe the violin isn't something that helps you bring out or be with big feelings. There's some therapy where like we feel it, we move through it and it comes with some amazing insight, right? Like, wow, I didn't realize that this is at the root of, you know, some feminist work I need to do. With grief work, you know, it's in our threads. We're carrying grief from generations before us. We're holding the cultural grief. We're holding the modern day grief. And we don't always get to be like, well, this is a one-to-one ratio. I feel I'm crying because of this. Sometimes I won't have any idea. I will feel the energy in my body. I will go, you know, sometimes for me, it's running. Sometimes it's singing. A lot of times it's writing. And I'll get to the end of that activity and have some more insight. But often I also don't. Often I just feel like I've given that that, that energy some other way to feel and be inside my body. Like a shift? Like a shift. Like a shift. Yeah. And I know you also do energy work. So I know, you know, I know you have various ways to, to talk about energy, but I do, I think we can try to shift. I was going to say too, sometimes like even sometimes when you have the knowledge of it, sometimes you forget you have the knowledge of it and it's for you too. It's not just for others. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. I studied this whole thing right here that I can use to heal me too. That has been the most humbling (laughs) element of my life is having, you know, trained for two decades in trauma work and to not prevent myself from being traumatized, right? Like not be able to say, well, I know all the things so I can stop this overwhelm of emotion from totally dysregulating me, but also then going through all the trauma treatments that you and I have learned how to do and feel them heal, right? EMDR and IFS and brain spotting and all of these body-based therapies that go in and say, let me help the energy land different so that it's not tugging on you like a little baby that's going to knock you over at your heels. I mean, that has been... And I think that's probably at the root of the idea that we're coaching people into growing their griever for me. You know, there's a million different modalities. Not all of them worked for me. There was this one that had some bells and some ringing and I, people loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I, are you punking me right now? I feel so self-conscious. And then other ones where I have, you know, I went in and was like, this is not going to work. It's not going to, you know, and then instant tears and instant shifts and instant. So the curiosity and also sort of the, the belief that grieving is something that we are built to do. It's, it's a part of life. We're built to do it simply because we haven't had experience doing it. Doesn't mean that we can't rise to the occasion but we probably will need some coaching and some help. And if we get better at it, then we are going to make more comfortable seats for the people around us. I mean, that, you know, not to get super grandiose, but that's my, I'm sorry. I got chills. Like when you just, I'm just like, I'm envisioning that. And it, it sounds good. Doesn't it? It's I, I was on a book club this past summer and I honestly, I think people were like, Ooh, she's losing her mind. I'm not going to remember the name of the author. I hadn't read the book but I was showing up because I love the book club. And she talked about her therapist when she was in a state of overwhelm, telling her to go out and lay down on mother earth 
because mother earth can hold all of your pain. Mm. And I mean, then like my tears and thinking about how long the earth has been here, what has been witnessed on the surface and how much energy resides in it. I mean, I actually went out onto the grass and sort of cried in the grass after the book club where my mother spent her life and was like, this is where my mother died. Her energy is right here in the ground. This is her burial ground. And my sorrow is being held by the very same space that her life is held. And so I sort of, I mean, you know, it's very esoteric, but I think about that, which is our grief is ours alone, every individual humans, but it's a collective experience that's been going on for years and years. And it resides in the energy of the earth. We give it back to the earth over and over again. We give it back to each other. We carry it. And so I love the idea that we can shift that, that we can give the earth a better interpretation where it doesn't have to be, take this to your therapist, talk about it for an hour, come back fixed and don't cry. You know, I just think like grief, grief is a part, it's in all of our threads all the time. And we have some choice about how we live it out into the world. I'm just look, you know, I have moments where I'm where I've been called just to lay out in the grass in my yard and just kind of take everything from the top and draining everything from my right. back area. And moments where I've done that, it's just been so much peace and so much. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that use that as a therapy, like earthing is a thing. You take your shoes off and you connect yourself to the, I know everything's a thing. It's all, it's all healing. So this has been such a gorgeous conversation. I want to see more of your face all the time. Please drive right over and come to my porch. I'm just like, man, it's over. I'm just like, I want to talk some more. <laughs> yeah, I listen, we don't have to go anywhere, but I promised you I'd only take an hour and I've already had more of it. I'm just, I'm just going to be sitting here thinking a lot of you. I mean, we have to, there's 5 million people grieving right now that weren't grieving before. There aren't enough therapist offices for them all. 5 million people is the estimate in just the United States of people who had unexpected loss through covid I mean, we're not even done, but that number is staggering. It is staggering to me. We just have to stop making it a problem that people feel bad. I mean, it is not a problem. It is a thing that will happen. My grief is not your problem. It's not a problem that I'm grieving. My grief is not a problem that you have. And your idea that I should be feeling different right now is just an idea. When people say to me like, oh, my sister-in-law is still upset. Why yeah. is that a problem for you? Probably. Well, she's such a bummer to be around. It definitely sounds like you should spend less time around her then. <laughs> because, you know, that's terrible. It's terrible for, for grievers. But there are some people that can sit around that and be around that. You don't have to do it. If you hate it, don't do it. It's like asking somebody to cook if they're not a good cook. Like, don't cook. Again, people, I don't think people know how to hold that space for people. You know, people don't know how to, or hold or be in that space with people without feeling like they need to do something. And I think that's what we on the other end of people grieving need to kind of check the need to 
to do something. Also, like, how do you define being good at it? I mean, I have a friend who regularly says, I'm really good at this. Like, I'm really good at when people are having problems. And I'm like, you're actually terrible at it. I mean, I've said to her, like, I, you and I do not share the same impression of your skills when it comes to showing up. You come in with like a garden rake and you want to fix stuff. She's like, oh, people come to me with their problems and, and they don't. They come to her to be cheered up. And so I say to her, they come to you to be cheered up, but not to listen to their problems. You don't, you're not like a, the world's greatest listener. I mean, I don't say it as blunt as this, but almost. Okay, you sure? Almost as blunt. Yeah, you know what? In my old age and after my mom died, I just don't have the patience. I don't have the patience to be gentle about people's feelings. And so, I mean, I, you know, I think it's pretty straight up since I've known. Yeah, right. I know. Since when have you ever been patient with anyone's feelings? I heard heard what you said. No, that's not what I said. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us for this really special first edition of Grief is My Side Hustle podcast. Thank you so much to Crystal Jones for joining me for this really fun and important conversation. 